You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. More announcement. If anyone isn't on the church email, if you'll see Amy Strong, which I don't see Amy Strong. She's, uh, she belongs to Big Strong back there in the corner, so if... <laughs> You see him, generally she's around. But uh, anyway, if you'll give her your email, and then we'll make sure you get added to that. Or And then there's a prayer, uh, oh, what's that called? Uh, like a text for prayer, and, and she has access to that too and can get you on that too. So it kind of lets you know what's going on in the church. The church email, you can get the devotional I write each week. And then that, and then there's a food one too if you want to bring food. You're welcome to do that, and we'd love to have you be a part of our service in that, and it just helps you keep in touch. That's the main primary way we keep in touch is through those, those three things. Tragically, this morning, um, what's wrong? Oh, just he's he's giving me hand and arm movement. I didn't know what he was telling me. It was just a fly. All right, yeah. Thank you, Deacon Alva, for helping me. Uh, no, uh, Central Baptist. They had a big water main break or something. I guess it was with their sprinkler system or something. So keep those guys in prayer. That's a that was our sending church when we when we were initially planted. And today, uh, well, actually the other day, yesterday, I guess, was our like ninth year anniversary as a church. At Plant Grow Harvest, we started at the school out there at uh, Homestead Elementary School, and some of you were there with us. And um, it's been interesting how God has moved. I, I believe his hand has been upon us from the beginning. We've had people come and people go, and we've had ministries started, and we've had churches planted. We thought we were going to plant other churches. I think we thought that we would plant more, for lack of a better word, gringo churches, American churches, and we've ended up planting churches all over the place in, in South America and Mexico. Nicaragua, Guatemala, Zambia, Africa, and then we've, we're supporting missionaries in different places in that. And, and so it's interesting how God, uh, man, uh, what man plans his way, but God directs his steps. You know, you think you're going to do something, and then God does something completely different, you know, and, and uh, how much we've been invested in the two Spanish-speaking churches here, uh, the one that meets at First Baptist Church that we helped plant, and then the one in Cookville that we, we had a part in planting as well. And it's it just wasn't what we thought, you know. We think of planting churches, we think about planting people that look like us, maybe, and God's like, hey, they're all mine. Plant them for the ones that need it the most, and that's what we did, and, and God's really blessed in that, and um, I, I gotta say, it, it's, been, it's been amazing. Um, there's been negatives, there's been positives, but the positives far outweigh the negative, for sure. You know, we, that, uh, we, we studied on that in Revelations about where he, in the churches, where he talked about removing his lampstand from the churches. And then that's been our prayer, that he wouldn't remove his lampstand from this place, that his Holy Spirit's anointing oil would be filling that lampstand, and it would be providing the light of the lampstand. So we pray that to be continually true, that we would continue uh, being a light here and in, in the churches that we had a part in planting and dealing with there and sending missionaries. We've got two families going in October. If you'll be praying for them, Loretta and Charles and Bill and Emily Kilby, our, our, our singstress, we're going to be out of luck there for, uh, no, maybe just one Sunday, I think, then. Um, but yeah, you got spiritual gifts, or we'll talk about that today, but you have those kind of giftedness in music. I don't know what's holding you up. Don't be afraid. We love you. You know who you are. And uh, we'll take it. We'll take the help. But anyway, no, I know there's other people with musical talents here, and we'd, we'd love to have you uh, be a part of that, you know. Make a joyful noise as best you can, and, and that'll be enough. 
We read this verse here. We're back in 2 Peter. Sorry, Strong. We're back in 2 Peter for a while. Um, and I read this verse to you a couple weeks ago, and it really was, it's so telling for how our culture is in this time, 2 Peter uh, 1 and 15. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And uh, that's Peter talking. And I, I can't say anything more than what Peter said um, you know, we don't know when our last breath is. Peter didn't know. And it could have happened any time with Peter because of the things that he was doing. He was so out, outwardly vocal about the gospel and things like that. And and so, um, you know, ambitious or bold or confident or whatever you want to say in promoting the gospel and planting churches, particularly amongst the Jews, Paul amongst the Gentiles. And they, but it put a, it put a target on their back. And he knew at some point he's going to get got. They're going to kill him. They're going to hang him. They're going to put him on a tree. They're going to put him on a cross. They're going to do something to him. They're going to stone him. He didn't know by what means, but he knew that at a certain point he wouldn't be there anymore. And you've got to remember that these letters were written to individual little churches out there in the wilderness, and it was a very precious thing to have this letter. They may not have had the Gospels at this time, but to receive a letter like this, it was a lot of memory and a lot of, of rewriting it before they sent it on to other churches. It was very important for them to have this. So any one of these little epistle books have everything that were needed for a small group of believers that had accepted Messiah as their Savior. It just gave them the tools to survive in a culture that was largely ungodly, like ours. As individual groups of believers and individual churches, we, as we support one another, care for one another, love one another, have fellowship with one another, but also it says here that he's given us all things for life and godliness. God has. He gave it to us in his book. We have the letters, and we can read them, and we can develop, be developed as believers in there. How are we going to survive when everything is seemingly falling apart? And then Peter gives us the answer. He goes, I'm going to die. But I'm going to leave you all the stuff that you need to survive, even if I'm not here to give you the word each day. You know, Jesus said of himself, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And at that point in his ministry, had he been killed then, the gospel would have really floundered because uh, the guys weren't developed enough in the word. They weren't developed enough as shepherds themselves to be able to take it on. We need shepherds. We need upcoming shepherds. That's why it's so good for you to go on these mission trips so you can see that you can learn to minister to people. You can learn to shepherd people here in Cumberland County or, or in Guatemala or wherever you go. And so it's really good for you to take on those things, even if you don't feel comfortable in them, to take them on and begin to minister to other people because someday I'm going to die. Someday... Uh, Charles Stanley's going to die. Oh, wait, he did. Someday uh, Adrian Rogers is going to die. Oh, wait, he did. V J. Vernon McGee. Oh, yeah, Billy Sunday. Yeah, they already died. But the gospel didn't stop with the death of the proclaimers of the gospel. It keeps going because of those that they ministered to that grew spiritually, and then those guys minister the gospel, and then they grow spiritually, and then those guys grow and keep going. And that's how it works. So you, uh, as ministers of the gospel, be careful to in ensure that you apply these things to your life so that the gospel doesn't die with you. So Peter was reminding our forefathers of these things, that this is what you're going to need for these times to come. And I, I, maybe I preach on that a lot, or you feel like I do, but I'm just, I don't know, uh, I believe there's still prophets. I don't know that I'm necessarily a prophet, but it's pretty easy to look at the culture at large and see negative things coming. And so as believers, and we see negative things coming, we should be 
careful to warn each other and also to warn the world that these negative things are likely coming, persecutions of one kind or another, or afflictions or oppressions or droughts or famines that could potentially come. And in all those things, we can be, we can be preparing with maybe putting some food aside or maybe having um, a little money set aside or something. But more, we can be preparing by having God's Word hidden in our heart that we may not sin against Him. We have it there. It's ready to be uh, drawn from. And that's what we want to look at today. Let's start with First Peter, uh, sorry, Second Peter and start at verse, we'll just start at 1. Well, let's read the whole thing down to 11, and then we'll go back and take it apart. Simon Peter, a bondservant, 2 Peter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Let's see, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Get a mint going here. So I know we finished up, we, we read through this about two weeks ago. And we really focused on those first couple, three, four verses. But we got to pick up something there that I believe needs more attention. It says God, we know in God's word in James, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God the Father says it comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. There's no chance that he changes. He doesn't change. We change. He doesn't change. And in that, we see this this list of divine promises that we can apply to our lives. He makes promises, though, they're ones that only he can keep. The promises that we make to one another, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, are largely dependent on our word, but things happen. You know, we have flat tires. We get sick. Uh, you know, something, we have an emergency, or we just forget. And when those things happen, it, makes our, it just demonstrates that our word's not any good. Right? We can try as much as we can to have a good word, to be righteous and upstanding and try to be honest and truthful and not make vows that we can't keep. But it's just the, the frailty of man. But God is not that way. His word is perfect and he is perfect. He's unchanging. If he promises something, it's guaranteed money. He's, an, he's going to accomplish what he does. It says that what he provides is to supply every need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. But we're going to put up Ephesians uh, 3, 16 through 21, and I want us to look at that for just a moment before we go forward. 
Ephesians 3, because it's so, it so parallels what's going on right here, and it should. All of God's Word works together, and it all amplifies itself, so we should always use His Word to understand His Word. We don't use... Uh, we can use a commentary to look at what a man says that they, you know, as they read the studied the Hebrew or the Greek or something, and get a clearer view of it. But in general, we should use God's word to qualify God's word. Look here in Ephesians three, starting in um, verse sixteen. Speaking of God the Father, okay, that He would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes understanding, passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. A guy ought to read these kind of passages more often because these are the things that give us encouragement. I was talking to a lady recently, and she was talking about how she felt so, um, you know, had been a Christian for years and then maybe was even kind of, uh, what's the word, kind of struggled with this assurance of salvation thing. But when we go back and we read scriptures like this, and he promises what he promises, that he will grant you, he will give to you his power. He will give it to you. He will give to you his riches of his glory. He will give to you his strength that will be strengthened by the Holy Spirit through his might in the inner man to you, from him to you. A man, when, when God gives us out of his riches, he gives with this unlimited flow and when man if a rich man was to give you something there's usually something required in return in general if, if a rich person offers something there's something that he's wanting from you in return maybe he's he's gonna uh, do you a favor over here but he expects that plus more in return god is not that way we think of wealthy here's the other thing is the measure of wealth when we think of a wealthy person and I think people generally, when they speak of a wealthy person, they think of, of Donald Trump or, or uh, oh, Berkshire Hathaway guy. His name slips my mind there. But uh, we think of a guy like that, George Soros, worth billions, right? But I'm going to tell you, as far as wealth goes, if you remember Martha Stewart, she was worth a billion, around a billion at the time. But when it came down to it, when the weight of the government came against her, she only owed like $200,000 or something like that. And they're like, we're putting you in prison. So though she was a billionaire, she didn't have the wealth to defend herself even from the government because the government has unlimited wealth. They can turn it against you and they turned it against her. And just like that, no matter how much wealth she has, it removed her power from her. She had to spend ever how many months in prison. And so when we, when we think of wealthy people, we think there's a limit to the wealth that they have. It may seem unlimited to us, Bill Gates, but the reality is compared to God's wealth, it's nothing. If he owns all things, when we remember that verse where it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah, he owns thousands of cattle on a thousands of hills. He owns all the cattle. He created them all. They're his. He deeds them to us for a time to use, 
to slaughter, to raise for leather and whatever all we use cattle for. But the reality is he owns it all because he has the power to take your life. When he takes your life, guess whose cows they are? It's like you with your house. You think you own your house. Don't pay your taxes for a year and see who owns your house. I mean, you can have it paid off because you don't own your house. Someone else greater than you owns your house. With God, his power, his authority, the things that he possesses, and he has this account with unlimited access for us to go to, if we'll take it. He has the account, but rarely do we access it like we should. He gives it to us. He would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, being rooted and grounded in love, your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. The love that God provided, the love that God possesses, God the Father, the love of the Messiah that came is not understandable by us. The closest we might could get is a mother's love where like the car falls on the kid and the mom goes over there and picks the car up and pulls, you know, this kind of supernatural strength love that we see with a mother and the care for her child where she'll fight off a bad guy or whatever. In general, a very soft, kind woman would do something really uh, big like that. But the love that God has for all of his creation to send his Messiah, to reconcile all of creation to himself. If we went back to Isaiah 53, you'll see that that it's all of creation that Jesus died for. It's not just for the sinner. Yeah, he died for the sinner. He died for the lost. He died for you. But it says all creation groans. We're waiting for the return for the Messiah to come back and make it right, to make it perfect like it was in the garden. And God in his mercy, he sent his son. And in the love of his son, Jesus had to have that measure of love as well. He wasn't sent outside of his will, it was in his will as well as the Father's will. He went because he loved, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, but his only begotten son loved the world too. And he came in that context. He came with that amount of love and he has all these riches in glory and he has these things, he's willing to give them to us that we can possess them in our inner man, that we can grow spiritually from these things. And he wants us to be able to comprehend with all the people that died in the past that have lived before and will live in the future, what is the length, depth, height of the love of Christ that he had for us, that he would come and die for us. And it really depends on us to... uh, gain access to that. His wealth is accessible to those that have Messiah dwelling in their hearts. What God is saying in that essentially is I want what my son wants and my son wants what I want. And that is I want to share with you the abundance of my love, the abundance of my grace, the abundance of my virtue and my long suffering and my patience and my godliness. I want to share that with you fully and it's up to you to receive it and to access the account. That's what I want, God. You know, you've got to give the author credit when they say something, but that's what he wants. So we can possess these grace things if we so desire because the Father has this unlimited stockpile of them. You remember uh, when you were kids or um, I think it was on even when Mr. Alva was a kid, but uh, Scrooge McDuck, he had his big pile of gold coins, right? 
and he would go and dive into his gold coins and swim around in them. I just remember it on the, on the Disney Christmas Carol or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but God has that. The thing about Scrooge McDuck is he didn't want to share. And the thing about God is he has the wealth, and he's willing to share. He's willing to give to you all that he has. It's really dependent on you receiving what he has. It's his divine nature that is willing to give to you. Grace, back in 2 Peter, verse 2 and 3. 2 Peter 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. If you go down further, you'll see that to, add, you know, to diligence, add faith, to faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, and so on. It says add, so that's a different kind of math. But in here, it's multiplied grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us he gave it freely open handed he doesn't give it with a string attached he gives it open handed to us all things that pertain to life and godliness they come these things through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue he gives us the things that pertain to life and godliness. They come in a certain direction. They come through the one who, who gives us knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. It's all available. This divine nature is part of that very present help in a time of trouble that we so need. We can access these things when we need them the most. We can access these things when we need them the least. But the point is, is we can access them. It overcomes these things that we're going to read about from verse 5 on. They, they overcome the factory-installed nature of man, the part of you that is you, the part of you that you're born with. That says, the Bible tells that a man is born dead in his trespasses and sin. But this right here has the power to overtake sin and give life. It's an amazing thing. So though we were born with this broken or incomplete personality, um, essence, for lack of a better word, spirit, what God provides is the ability to have life and life abundant when he imputes his righteousness onto us and we receive these things as spiritual gifts, spiritual growth. So in reading those verses in the past, especially as we get to verse 5, I used to think it was like a like just a lot of self-discipline that was required. Like I, re I receive salvation, and then I have to be really good and stop doing really bad things. I got to quit cussing and drinking and smoking and stop hanging out with the girls that do all that stuff too. I had to stop doing all those things, and I had to start being nice and comb my hair and brush my teeth and, and you know, not go to nightclubs or whatever, right? And that's not the point, it's not, well, the Bible tells us, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. If we could just be really good, we could, we could good our way into heaven, but our good will never outshine our bad because the, just because of what our nature is. If we were trying to get by on our goodness, we'd have so much pride that we couldn't fall at the foot of, of Messiah and ask him to save us. But what do I need him for if I'm that good? Look what it says in 2 Peter verse 5, 1, 5. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So it's stair steps, okay? So follow the stair steps. Virtue, uh, faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, 
to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. I went, um, I went to a thing for, uh, I took a girl to a drug counseling um, deal. And these were the scriptures that they used to try to help these people shake drug addiction. And they were, they were talking about these things, and, and they were talking about these words, and it was so, you know, I can read these words, and I know what they mean. I know what diligence means, you know, putting a lot of effort into something, working hard towards it, and really studying up, all right? But to watch this girl who had never heard the gospel in any real way or had never really been developed in any kind of spiritual thing, to watch her listen to this list and just her face was just blank. There was nothing there. There was no processing going on. None of this was possible in this girl. She didn't know what any of it meant. I mean, if, you, if you're going to try and fix a person that has this terrible sin of, of drunkenness or, or sexual immorality or whatever the hang-up is or drug addiction, you can't start right here. Because they don't know what it means. They think that they got to do these things in order to be acceptable to the Holy One, to the Righteous One. That I'm going to have to be more diligent. I'm going to have to be more virtuous. I'm going to have to be more knowledgeable. If I just knew more about God, I'd be a better person. I have to be more faithful. That means I just got to be at church on Sunday. If I just was at church more often, then I would be better off. And, and it's kind of true. Strong told a guy one time, he said, well, do you really believe that, that uh, you have to be in church to be saved? And Strong goes, well, it wouldn't hurt. I mean, it's a good place to hear the gospel. <laughs> it is. It's a good place to hear the gospel. But it's, it's a heart change that must, be, that must be committed to. And then these things become available. It's not a thing that you can put on yourself. It's like the whole armor of God. We put on the whole armor of God, but we didn't make the armor of God. He did. He developed it. It's a spiritual thing. It's there in a stack on the little hanger, you know, the shield and the helmet and all those things. And then we got to take them off and put them on. But he developed all those things. We don't just go about being good and then assume that those things are on us. That's not the, that's not the point of salvation. It says if these things are in you and abound... You'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are spiritual gifts in a sense, or spiritual giftedness maybe, not individual gifts necessarily. But they're made available to us without limit to anyone who would go withdraw them from the bank of the Most High God. You've got to go make a withdrawal. So there's a blessing waiting for the person to unwrap if the person will just do so and begin to unwrap these gifts. Um, the act of salvation through Messiah is the door opener to the bank of the Father. And that's, that's what he offers. Christ offers, I am the door. Um, when the kids were still at home, I really, the things that I bought them for toys was just stuff that I wanted when I was a kid and we didn't have for one reason. I mean, people didn't buy that much stuff back in the 70s. They just didn't. I mean, um, and so, you know, I bought them all the stuff. I buy them a dirt bike. And then Dan wanted a horse. We got a horse. And the kids began riding horses. And then whatever pets they wanted, they brought every kind of snake and armadillo, whatever, home, and possums and all stuff. And we'd try to raise it. Whatever they wanted on that stuff. We lived in the country, you know. And just a pointer for you parents with young kids, the kids' favorite things were not the ones that cost a lot. We had a trampoline. They spent hours and hours on trampoline. We had a... Uh, 
we had that horse. They rode that thing. The poor horse, man, he would he was hard to catch because he, he didn't like to get rode as much as they rode him. But they had a tree house. They liked to hang out in their hammocks in the summertime and read books. I mean, the stuff that they liked was not necessarily, they had a tire swing. They spent hours on that thing. I got really strong pushing them on the tire swing. But what they, the things that they loved weren't necessarily the things that we purchased. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't Barbie dolls and race cars and stuff like that. But whether the kids used the things that we had for them or not completely depended upon them. They were there all the time. Trampoline was there all the time. The tire swing was there all the time. The treehouse was there all the time. The rocks behind my house was there all the time. They had to choose to go use the gift, either the ones we bought or the things that they had. They were always there. They were always accessible to them, but they didn't always take advantage of them. And it's the same thing for us. Our access to what we... Um, we attribute, I think, a lot of these things. We see somebody that's particularly diligent or virtuous or faithful or, or self-disciplined or something, and we think that that's that person's personality trait, and it can be. But you've got to understand there's a spiritual side to this that God will amplify these as gifts to us. They're not necessarily just a personality trait. They can be, but in general, when people have like a particularly strong trait, I've noticed, um, say, self-control, well, they can be so self-controlled that they're fake. You never see the real person because they're always putting on this facade of, I got everything under control. You know who you are. You know that person. You know who I'm talking about. You know the person that's always under control, but you can't ever get to the real heart of that person. They'll never show you who they really are. Their house is perfect. Their kids are perfect. All the shoes are lined up in a row. Everything's going just A plus for them. They're completely under control. That's not from God. That's just who they are, but it's not necessarily from God. These are spiritually derived things that are amplified in the believer as he begins to grow spiritually. You can enable these things. You can open these gifts and begin to work on them and then be developed in you. Dan had a, we, uh, I don't know where I got it. I found a, uh, a unit. Dan could ride anything with wheels. He was just amazing. He could uh, skateboard. He could just, first time he ever got one, he could just jump on it and go do a bunch of tricks, bicycle. He was real little. He could ride it, but he just had good balance. And uh, I don't know where I found this, this uh, unicycle. And I brought it home. And uh, he tried it just for a second and crashed a couple times, and then he was like, eh. So he put it aside. And a couple weeks later, he just decided he's going to ride this unicycle. He spent two days, and he was riding that thing like a champ. These gifts are very similar. Not all gifts just fall into your hand open, ready for maximum use. You've got to apply them. They take effort. But the good things in life just take effort. That's just how it is. You've got to apply them, and you begin to put them into practice, and they become easier for you. And they amplify your spiritual life. They make your spiritual life better, more abundant, as we put these things into action right here. So uh, you got to unwrap the gift, number one. And number two, you got to put it into action. Many times we unwrap a spiritual gift or, or one of these kind of traits. We see more as a trait to any... So here's the thing on this. I'm changing ideas on you right there. But you have your spiritual gift, say it's hospitality, serving, administration, whatever your thing is, prophecy, right? And then you plug these tools into that gift, and that gift is amplified. It's more usable. It's more functional. You're more able in it. If I never pray for a person to be healed, but 
pray and ask God for the gift of healing, I'm going to tell you, likely you'll never see anyone healed. If I pray for the gift of teaching or, or faithfulness, but I never apply it in any way other than, Lord, I just wish I was more faithful. And then he tests you in it, and you're like, Lord, I, I just don't have the faith. Well, man, begin to apply these little, these little tools to that, and your faith is going to grow. Diligence, virtue, uh, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. You add those stair steps, and in time you start being developed in that. Um, and it says, it's a two-parter in verse 8, for if these things are yours, number one, and number two, if they abound, doesn't say they, but if they're yours and abound, it's two things you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can absolutely, if they're yours, I can absolutely rely, I've, I'm guilty and you are too, I can rely on someone else's spiritual gifts to give me a hint of who God is. I can. I can watch someone else and they are particularly gifted in teaching or, or whatever, and then I can go follow that person around and kind of get the overflow of that on myself and then I can tell someone else, oh, yeah, God works in this way. Though I haven't experienced it myself. I'm cheating to do that. We can do that. You can do that. But it, it's so much better for it to be yours. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everybody's got like a really blank look on their face. But many times we attribute spiritual growth in ourselves to something we heard someone else say and we've never applied it personally in our lives. And that's sad. You're cheating. You're cheating yourself. You're cheating your relationship with the Lord because you don't actually possess it. BJ possesses it. I attach myself to BJ, and BJ, when she leaves, she's going to take her gift with her. Much better for BJ to say, Dale, you don't, you don't seem to be having this. Work on this. Study on this. Pray about this. Meditate on this. Fast about this. And then it begins to be developed in me. That would be way better because then it becomes mine. And I begin to grow in these things, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, and so on. And the last thing says is abound. The Bible doesn't tell me to be conformed to the image of anyone here, one of the deacons or, or an elder or another pastor. He tells me to be conformed to the image of Christ. And Christ is the Father. The Father is Christ. And they're, you know, be conformed to them, but not to Charlie Alva or not to Dale Brown. Because if, if you're completely conformed to the image of me, you're, you're, you've, you've missed a step. It's the spiritual gift thing again. It's got to be yours. And for it to abound, the more of Christ I have, the more faith I have, the more perseverance I have, the more self-disciplined I have, the more godliness I have, the more brotherly kindness I have, the more love I have. I'm not going to gain all these in the moment... Um, Andrew, I'm not going to gain these in the moment that I become saved. I want to have all these things and in fullness. I, nothing grows that way. You put too much fertilizer on a corn plant, it dies. You put it on over the season and, and you're going to have great corn. You won't be able to hang. You won't be able to hold in there. These things come and they're developed in you and you begin to grow spiritually like the tree in Psalm 1 planted by the rivers of water. You're planted. You begin to grow. 
the rivers of water flowing by, the very words of life, the, the living word, and it's flowing by, and it's flowing into the tree. The tree grows and develops in storms and winds, makes it tough, makes it more durable, makes it strong for the long run. They're available to you, and you need to start tapping into them, and as you tap into them, you'll grow in them, and you'll begin to abound. Number one, it's got to be yours, and number two is you need to be working on this abounding thing. We begin to develop those things. You begin to grow spiritually in there. You know, I was thinking about this. I heard a, a guy talking, and he, he had a pretty good, he wasn't right necessarily, but it was a good analogy. But, you know, with that scripture we use a lot, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens up, I will enter in and sup with him. And so a lot of people have this view of Christ, a lot of Christians, and I use the word lightly, they were, they're Christians because they're not atheists, because they're not Muslims or Arabs or something else. right? They're Christian in, in name. And something happens, and they remember, something negative happens. They remember, oh, Christ, you know, he's my friend, and I can pray to him. And so they go, and they think about, behold, I sin. So they open the door a crack, and they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, I need some help in this thing. And he's like, okay. And then they're like, thanks. And they keep him back outside. And they never open the door fully, and allow them in to dwell with them. If these things are yours and abound, that means that he, we, he told us back in that Ephesians verse that he would come in and dwell with us. But if we keep him outside the door for, you know, break glass in case of emergency, if we got him out there but not in here, then we're not ever going to have the yours and abounding part. You better make your calling and election sure if you're keeping him outside the door. If he's just in case of emergency, then he's not yours. You're not his. He's outside the door. It's a scary thing. So if we look closely at that list, we can see that it's a stair step. It's this positive stair step, right, that's going up. Diligence, faith, virtue, virtue knowledge, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Christ's love. But, you know, if there's a staircase that goes up, there's a staircase that goes back down, and that's where it goes in verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and had forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. How many of us have stumbled on the stair steps up and ended up on the stair steps going back down? I mean, this is one of those things where there is self-control, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, there is self-control in there. It, there, is a, there is a time where we have to say, man, I just cannot go that direction anymore. If you've got a problem with alcohol, and it's in the past, it's been a problem with you, it's taken you down, you're an alcoholic, I'm sorry. You can't go to where alcohol is served, and you can't ever have another sip of alcohol. It'll own you. It owned you in the past. You can be growing up this stair step, staircase right here, and, and fall off the side or fall down the steps. So it would be better in that case to never have anything to do with it again. Don't even, don't even go there. If these things are yours and abound, but if they're not yours and they don't abound, then you open yourself up to that verse 9, that he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. How many people have received Christ as a young person, and then as time went on, maybe they were going up these stair steps, and something got them off track. 
They got busy raising kids. They got busy with life. They got busy with sports. They got busy with something. And they quit um, dwelling and abounding in those things. And they begin to kind of slide down the steps. Not even necessarily into sin, just into distance from God. He wants, that's the thing, what, what he keeps reminding us here. From verse 12 to verse 15, Peter says a couple times there, I want to remind you of these things. Don't be negligent in these things. Hang on to these things. Hold on to these things. Verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up, Bill, reminding you. Verse 12, I will not be negligent to remind you. Though these things are in you right now, I want to remind you. Maybe right now today you're really stable in this and you're going up the staircase. Be careful because temptation hits people all the time. Be careful lest you fall. And keep going up the staircase and not down. There's always the potential to get derailed on the upward way to higher ground. And it says that you can descend all the way to blindness where you've forgotten your first love. He said that about the churches in Revelation. You can forget. Where did I come from? Whose am I? Where do I belong? It's a sad thing. So a person who lacks, they don't lack these things. A person can lack these things. They don't lack these things because Mr. Better Believer got ahead of you in line and got an extra blessing from the Lord. There's plenty for you and there's plenty for him. There's an abundance for all, abounding for all. There's, that's the word, abound, abundance. The same word. There's plenty. All you got to do is go access it. We go to the Lord with, you know, small pockets. We ought to be going there with a grain shovel and scooping it into the, not the wheelbarrow, but the dump truck. We don't have the right mindset when we approach him that he's willing to give you this in abundance. But they got to be yours. And then you can abound in them. And so then it says in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. If I went back to that list of five through eight and I made that, maybe, I, maybe we should read that more often than we do, but, and I made that my, my morning reading for a month, I, I would almost put money on that. You would see a major spiritual growth spurt in your life as you begin to dwell on these things. What does it mean to have diligence? What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have virtue, knowledge, self-control? Well, how can I develop that? What should I be reading? Who should I be listening to? And maybe I would put aside some of the silly things that I watch and listen to and see and, and am a part of in order to grow more abounding in these things. And you would see spiritual growth in yourself, and that would give you that motivation, that energy to keep in that. We read this morning about that man who was, I, he meditated in the law, it said, not on the law, but in the law day and night. He was in the law. He loved the law. He didn't see it as oppressive to him, David. He saw it as a benefit to him. The more he read it, the more he grew. The more he read it, the happier he was, the more joyful he was, the more stable he was. And as he puts the law aside, we can see in his life what happened. Enter Bathsheba. <laughs> right? He stumbled. Be even more diligent to make your call election sure. If you do these things, you'll never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly 
into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank God that he makes a place to open the door that we can get in. He invites us to invite him in. And when we invite him in, he invites us in. He invites us into the bank that is the Father. I was thinking, that was such a nice song we sang this morning. The first one, I will, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. I think we're going to sing it one more time um, to close together. But as I read that in 1 Peter, and I'm reading it to you, maybe you'll go and read that this week a couple times and really dwell on that, thinking about, you know, these pastors come and go, but this is for you. These scriptures are for you. They're very specially written for you. And we should take advantage of them and read them for ourselves and, and allow God to develop us in them, okay?